Uh, today, we're continuing our series called Mosaic, journeying and, and picturing our life in the Gospel of Mark. And we've been reading the Gospel of Mark all through the Lenten season. This week, we, we went through seven, chapter 7, 8, and 9, and we find ourselves kind of in the middle of the story. And today, I, uh, we are settling in in a conflict, a little conflict between the disciples and Jesus. And it, it just made me think about no stories. Don't you love it when people tell you no? It seems like the first response out of everyone's mouth is no. It, uh, can you help me with this project? No. If you ask your, your children, did you finish your homework or your chores? What do they say? No, they say no. You're not helping. You ask someone, can you help me with this? Well, no, it's not my department. Or do you honor this coupon? No, we don't honor that coupon. Or better yet, when we, our kids were young and we were looking through the weeks, you know, we'd have a different day of the week for each restaurant because we're ever kids ate free. You know, you ever done that before? Yeah, that's the only way we ate out with four kids. And, uh, but then you get there and, well, there's, there's certain regulations. We don't accept kids eat free on on this night, or it's only one kid per adult, which is great when mom and dad are out there, but when dad or mom are out with four kids, that doesn't really help a whole lot. So does this coupon work? No. Or prescriptions and insurance companies, you go to get a prescription refilled, and it's, you can't get it refilled because it's not quite the right date. So no, you can't have your medication. Most places you look, no seems to be the first reaction of our society. Our world has a mindset of no. It's I can't, or that's not my job. And so much so that, I don't know about you, but when I encounter someone who's a yes person, it's almost surprising when their response is yes and kind of takes you aback. Or when you get great service at a restaurant, it kind of surprises you that it's their job to do that. And that reminds me of this text today. We're in Mark chapter 8, starting the verse 27, in this encounter with Jesus and the disciples. Hear the words from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus and his disciples went into the villages near Caesarea Philippi, and, and on the way he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, or, or still one of the other prophets. And he asked them, and what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter, in, in the way that Peter always does, jumped in and says, you are the Christ. And then Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Remember that whole thing that Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is keeping this messianic secret still. He doesn't want anybody to tell others about him. And then Jesus began to teach his disciples. He said, the human one must suffer many things and, and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the legal experts, and to be killed. And then after three days will rise from the dead. He said this very plainly. But Peter took hold of Jesus and, and scolding him, began to correct him. And Jesus turned and looked at his disciples and then sternly corrected Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. And after calling the crowd together with his disciples, Jesus said to them, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross and follow me. The scripture reminds me of this idea of, of being no people, that here in this scripture, Peter is a no person. 
Jesus has just asked his disciples, who, who do you say I am? And, and Peter, Peter is always the first one to chime in, right? Peter jumps in and says, you are the Christ. And this time is one of the few times that Peter actually gets it right. Peter jumps in and he gets the question correct. He, he gets 100 on the quiz. But only one verse later, it's a different story. In the next verse, Jesus goes on to say that he will suffer many things and he'll be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the, the teachers of the law and he must be killed and after three days he'll rise again. But good old Peter, Peter jumps in. Jesus, these things can't happen to you. You are the Christ. You are the man. These things won't happen to you. But Peter says, you, you know, you're going to rule the world. You're, you're going to lead people against the establishment. You're going to be our spiritual and our military and our political leader. You're going to live forever. That was Peter's heart and mind at the time. But Jesus rebuked Peter quickly and he said, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the mind of the things of God, but the mind of the things of humans. You see, Peter's heart and mind was no. These things cannot happen to you. This will, is not how we see this going down. His heart and mind was opposite of Jesus' heart and mind. Jesus' heart and mind said, these things must happen. This is the way it has to happen. You see, the disciples have been okay in our previous chapters up until this point. The, the readings we've done, they've been good. They've been traveling with this really popular guy. Then they've been healing people. They've been teaching lessons and parables. They've been standing up to the establishment of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They've been helping people, feeding people, witnessing miracles, resurrecting people. And they were even given some of the power that Jesus had to go out and do the same. The disciples were cool with all of this. Life was good for the disciples. But now wait a minute. Jesus says, you're going to suffer and be rejected. I'm going to be killed. And I'm going to be resurrected three days later. And suddenly the disciples were like, you know, this is not what we signed up for. We signed up, to, you know, for this trip around Galilee. We're going to follow you around. You know, we're going to help feed 5,000 people and make people feel well. We didn't plan for this whole suffer, rejection, killing. That's not what we planned for. Back in chapter 1, Jesus simply said, come follow me. And they, they were good with this. They want to hear the good news. And, and then Jesus tells them some more news. He says, by the way, if anyone is to follow me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And their reaction, the disciples said, this was so much easier when it was just us following him. That simple idea of following. But now Jesus has, has turned the tables and, and upped the game a little bit, and the disciples are not so readily to follow now. And if, if we're honest, I think myself, like Peter, I, I would, I'd rather follow Jesus doing all those good things too, of feeding people and healing people and witnessing miracles and teaching. It gets a lot harder when we talk about suffering and rejection and being killed and this resurrection thing that we don't totally understand. Peter wanted the good life, 
but didn't realize the good life came a little differently. And this is a familiar situation I think we follow each and every day, all of us. I mean, we're here today in corporate worship, and, and we'll go home tonight and maybe have some time in prayer or the scriptures. And, and in those times, together and separately, we, we declare who Jesus is. Jesus asked that question, who do you say I am? And we say, you are the Messiah, the, the Son of God. And it's kind of easy in this set-apart place. But in just a few minutes, we got to go through those glass doors, and we have to go into the real world. Tomorrow, we have to go back to work, and it's a different story out there. Each day, we're, we're faced with many choices, and we have to make those choices to be and have the heart of God and the mind of God, or we have to have the heart and the mind of people. And I think for the most part, our world has the hearts and minds of people. And those are diametrically opposed to the hearts and mind of Christ. We must decide each moment, every single moment, if we're going to have the heart and mind of God or the heart and mind of people. Who are we going to follow? Human tendencies or the God characteristics of our life? So to do this, we have to have a different kind of mind, a different kind of heart, different from what our first reaction might be. I don't know about you all, but, but many times my first reaction can be a no reaction, can, uh, can be a reaction that is, is in the hearts and minds of people. And... Uh, Sometimes I think we need to think about a second reaction. What, are, what would our second reaction be? Not necessarily our first reaction. There's this clip here of uh, George Costanza who is experiencing something similar. Why did it all turn out like this for me? I had so much promise. <laughs> I was personable. I was bright. Oh, maybe not academically speaking, but <laughs> I was perceptive. I always know when someone's uncomfortable at a party. It all became very clear to me sitting out there today that every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. My life is the complete opposite of everything I want it to be. Every instinct I have in every aspect of life, be it something to wear, something to eat, it's all been wrong. <laughs> Tuna, toast, coleslaw, cup of coffee. Yeah. No, 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 wait a minute. I always have tuna on toast. Nothing's ever worked out for me with tuna on toast. <laughs> I want the complete opposite of tuna on toast. Chicken salad on rye. <laughs> Untoasted with a side of potato salad and a cup of tea. <laughs> well, there's no telling what can happen from this. You know, chicken salad's not the opposite of tuna. Salmon's the opposite of tuna, because salmon swim against the current, and the tuna swim with it. Good for the tuna. Uh, George, you know, that woman just looked at you. So what? What am I supposed to do? Go talk to her. Elaine, bald men with no jobs and no money who live with their parents... <laughs> Don't approach strange women. Well, here's your chance to try the opposite. Instead of tuna salad and being intimidated by women, chicken salad and going right up to them. Yeah, I should do the opposite. I should. If every instinct you have is wrong, 
then the opposite would have to be right. Yes. I will do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day. So now I will do the opposite and I will do something. Excuse me, uh, I couldn't help but notice that you were looking in my direction. <laughs> oh, yes, I was. You just ordered these same exact lunch as me. <laughs> my name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. I'm Victoria. Hi. <laughs> I tell you this, something is happening in my life. I did this opposite thing last night. Up was down, black was white, good was... Bad. Day was... Nice. Yes! So you just did the opposite of everything? Yes! And listen to this, listen to this. Our uncle works for the Yankees and is gonna get me a job interview. A, a front office kind of thing, assistant to the traveling secretary. A job with the New York Yankees. This has been the dream of my life ever since I was a child. And it's all happening because I'm completely ignoring every urge towards common sense and good judgment I've ever had. <laughs> this is no longer just some crazy notion, Elaine, Jerry. This is my religion. Well, I guess your messiah would be the Antichrist. <laughs> Why don't you tell me about some of your previous work experience? All righty. Uh, my last job was in publishing. I uh, got fired. Go on. Uh, all right. There. Well, before that, I was in real estate. Uh, I quit because my boss wouldn't let me use his private bathroom. <laughs> that was it. Do you talk to everybody like this? Of course. Well, my niece told me you were different. I am different, yeah. But I gotta tell you, you are the complete opposite of every applicant we've seen. Uh, Mr. Steinbrenner, sir. There's someone here I'd like you to meet. This is Mr. Costanza. He's one of the applicants. Nice to meet you. Well, I wish I could say the same, but I must say, with all due respect, I find it very hard to see the logic behind some of the moves you have made with this fine organization. In the past 20 years, you have caused myself and the city of New York a good deal of distress as we have watched you take our beloved Yankees and reduce them to a laughingstock all for the glorification of your massive ego. Hire this man. The New York Yankees? The New York Yankees! <laughs> Ruth, Gehrig, DiMaggio, Mantle, Costanza? <laughs> Assistant to the traveling secretary. I'm going on the road trips with him. I'll be on the plane. I'm working in Yankee Stadium. This is a dream. I am busting. Jerry, I'm busting. I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. It's me. Come on up. And I'm moving out of my parents' house. I'm taking that apartment on 86th Street. Remember the one we saw? That's a great place. I'm back in business, baby. <laughs> well, I'm not sure that we should uh, take George and follow him completely. We're not maybe prescribing that we follow his new religion. But I think he may be on to something. If, if our initial reaction in our hearts and minds might not be that of Christ, why not try the opposite? The opposite of our hearts and minds focused on the, on the things of men 
are the hearts and minds focused on the things of God? If our initial reaction is to, to act and, and be like humans, then maybe the opposite reaction might be to act like Jesus. These are the kind of hearts and minds we're, we're called to have. But the question is, is how do we cultivate that? How do we cultivate that kind of heart and mind? And It wasn't what I planned this morning, but then Tom shared the Boy Scout law. And I thought, you know, this is a great place to start. As we look through these characteristics of the Boy Scout law, trustworthiness, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, reverent, I don't think there's anything there that we can argue about that would be of the heart and mind of Christ. It parallels some of our fruits of the Spirit, in fact. So that might be a good place to start to cultivate a heart and mind of Jesus would be with some of these things, trustworthiness and loyalty and helpfulness, friendliness. That'd be a good place to start, I think. I think a good place to start is how we're reading through the Gospels together, slowly and, and praying for God to give us a word and, and point us in a direction each day. It might be turning off the things of man, and I'm probably preaching to myself mostly here, of maybe turning off some of our, our devices, maybe turning off uh, CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or whatever else we may be filling our hearts and minds with and filling it up with the things of God, spending time in prayer, spending time in silence, maybe fasting from things that are filling us up in other ways. Our bishop, Ken Carter, has been sharing some ideas during Lent, and we've been having some talks about some different kinds of thinking uh, in different leadership times, and some of them are generative thinking and design thinking, and he posted this a couple of weeks ago on how we might grab on to the heart and mind of Jesus. He suggests that we would immerse ourselves in the gospel, read a verse or a passage or a chapter, practice centering prayer with having some time of silence, Maybe participate like the Franciscans do through imagining yourself in the scene of the gospel. What would it feel like? Which character are you connecting with? Today's scripture, are you, are you connecting with, with Peter or one of the other disciples who doesn't speak up or with Jesus? Taste and see that whole scripture. Maybe journal if you like to write or, or draw or doodle if that's your connection. And then expand your perceptions. Where do you see Jesus in the past 24 hours? We talked about that last week, about God sightings. Where are you seeing God working in your life and the lives of others? What are you most grateful for? What are you most anxious or fearful or disturbed about? And then think forward and, and design your day. Where can I engage what can I let go of in order to engage? How can I share? How could my meal times be different with my family or my colleagues or with strangers? How can technology be different? How is friendship a part of my life? And then fourth, we act on the gospel. What are one to three to five actions that are most urgent for us to do, that will have the most impact 
And how might we imitate Christ in a small way today? Those kind of things help us to, to garner the mind and the heart of Jesus. And they're great questions and great times to reflect on in the season of Lent as, as we're waiting and we're reflecting on our lives. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine a world where people were of the same heart and mind as Jesus? That would be an amazing, incredible, wonderful world. If we all had the same hearts and minds as Jesus. We're going to sing in just a moment the, the song, What a Beautiful Name. And it's going to talk about the beauty and the power and the wonder of the name of Jesus. If we had the same hearts and minds as this Jesus, what a wonderful world it would be. It sounds like heaven, in fact. In fact, it sounds like heaven on earth, the kingdom of heaven on earth that we're called to be a part of, that we're called to cultivate as co-creators with Jesus the Christ. Amen? Amen. Would you stand as we close out our worship? What a beautiful name. And let's praise his name. The altar is open. It's a great place to pray. <laughs>